Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. And welcome to the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, we cover everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks on observing and imaging. And then, of course, at the end of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. And uh, what do you know, we're already through January and it's the last Friday of the month, which means we have a special guest. And today we are actually joined by Dr. Krupp. He's the director of Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, California. Um, if you've never been there before, A, you should go no matter where you are. Um, and B, it's just an amazing place. It really, in my mind, is one of the top places for astronomy, for public access anywhere in the world, period. Um, so it's really a pleasure to have uh, Dr. Krupp with us this morning. I'm going to go ahead and bring him on, and we're going to go ahead and get started. If you have any questions, uh, please save them for the last 15 minutes or so, um, and then we will get all that going. Um, so without further ado, uh, please welcome Dr. Krupp joining us from Los Angeles, California. Thank you for spending your morning with us. Uh, just a delight, and thanks for that ringing endorsement of Griffith Observatory in light-saturated Los Angeles. Uh, we do <laughs> try to make contact with this guy. Yes. Um, I ask everyone the same thing when they come on. We've had people from all different experiences and walks of life, but everyone starts at some point in this crazy interest of astronomy um where did you and you've been doing this for a long time but where did you and your interest start in astronomy uh, thanks for the question and i promise i'll answer it but forgive a a slight zigzag here uh with, with a little bit of background and uh, let me relate a a story that goes back maybe 50 years when i was a graduate student at ucla and attending a meeting of the American Astronomical Society. I really can't remember exactly where the meeting was or, or who was doing anything with it, um, but there was a speaker that uh, was in, booked to, to talk in a, a more general way about uh, things like producing astronomers. And at that time, most of the astronomers in the United States would all attend that meeting. So you, you had a very big percentage of them. Well, the speaker uh, asked, how many of you decided to become an astronomer at a young age? And just about every hand in the room went up. So that's like a couple thousand astronomers uh, basically endorsing, well, I was a kid. And then the second question was, how many of you decided to become an astronomer either because of a look through a telescope, a book, or a visit to a planetarium? And once again, all the hands went up. And, and so there you had it. How do you make astronomers? Well, you get young kids and you either give them a book, a telescope, or a planetarium visit, and, and there you go. And that's mm -hmm. how it was with me as well. Um, I, I really can trace back uh, my commitment to astronomy uh, to being eight years old and a book. Uh, also at that time, I, I did go to the Adler Planetarium in, in Chicago, yeah. and I remember that visit vividly as well. But it really was a book that sealed the deal for me. Very good. Yeah, and that's one thing that... Um... I think a lot of people overshadow nowadays whether they're just getting their first telescope, you know, or whatever we get it in our line of work. 
where it's like, what's the best accessory? What, you know, lens should I get or blah, 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 blah. It's in my mind, it's still a book is probably your best companion to just about anything to learn anything still. And I think it gets overshadowed a lot nowadays with technology and stuff like that. So awesome. Uh, so you got started with the book. You went to UCLA. Um, I know you've done uh, research. Uh, pro you have quite a history behind you of all the things that you've done out there. Um, you actually started with Griffith many, many years ago, and you weren't there that long and until you became what your current position is. Isn't that correct? Uh, that's right. I was actually a graduate student uh, at UCLA. My advisor was the late George Abel, who was a oh, specialist yeah. in extragalactic uh, uh, cosmology, observational cosmology, and really clusters of galaxies. And that's why I went to UCLA. I, I wanted to, in, in fact, be his student and, and got, to, got to do that. Uh, in the course of that, I, I wound up uh, being uh, in, invited uh, by George to respond to uh, uh, an announcement that he had received, really not a public announcement, but the staff at Griffith had let him know uh, there was an opening for a planetarium lecture, and I had done a few of those at the UCLA planetarium. And, and so uh, Dr. Abel uh, said, Ed, I, I, I think... Uh, you should take this job over at uh, Griffith Observatory. And I nodded dutifully and ignored him because I wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, but uh, he called me back in his office about three weeks later and said, Ed, there is a job for a lecturer at Griffith Observatory, and I think you ought to take it. And mm -hmm. so there was handwriting on the uh, cosmic wall. And, and so I, I wound up starting at Griffith as a planetarium lecturer, part-time planetarium lecturer while I was still in, in grad school. That's, I think it's really cool that you got to basically be under someone of that caliber. You know, there's, I uh, love the Abel catalog, especially when it comes to like the planetaries and stuff yeah. like that. But it's, you know, t for someone of that caliber, you know, and that historical reference in astronomy. And if you don't know what the Abel catalogs are, you should really look them up. They're really neat. But um, it's, I think that's pretty neat. And now you've grown into your own uh, definite major position. And you've been with, uh, you've been the director of Griffith for how many years? Well, I, I started in, in 1974. I was appointed curator, uh, kind of a similar thing. That was my first full-time job when I finished up at grad school in 72. And then in 74, there was, um, uh, there was some instability at Griffith. And uh, so I was asked to take on the job of uh, director and that became permanent about two years later in 76 up until this very day yeah, so. <laughs> um now that's a massive span of time and griffith's gone through a lot of changes over those several decades at this point um i know uh someone that we uh, mutually have worked with uh referenced that there was the few years ago in the early 2000s you guys basically redid the entire observatory which uh, i think is um jokingly because of how much it costs i think they called it like the au upgrade or something like that or um but you were there to kind of spearhead a lot of that development to what griffith is now today the, the 
it, it became evident not long after uh, I was director uh, that um, it was important to think about what in the world we should do. Uh, at that time, the place was wearing out. It was loved to death. It opened in 1935. Uh, the original planetarium projector, star projector, had been replaced in 1964. But even then, by the, the, the 1970s, the uh, mid-70s, you could, if you thought about the future at all, say, wait a minute, this is an electromechanical device. It's working now, but it's not going to work forever, and we need to be thinking about the future. What are we going to do, and how are we going to do it? And the real issue there is that we're owned and operated by the City of Los Angeles Department of Recreation and Parks, and that means anything that you think you're going to do is going to take longer than you imagine it will. Yeah. And so you, you have to take that into account. You have to develop a, a notion about the future to get there. And so in the uh, 76, 78 period or so, uh, it became important to, uh, to, to start talking about Griffith Observatory's future. And that was primarily in terms of a planetarium star projector. But as time went on, uh, it became evident that there was a much greater need for uh, simply fixing the, the place, whether it was as simple as the basic systems or uh, exhibit program, planetarium, all of those things. And so that became a part of a, of a major initiative that required even the invention of, a, of an additional organization, a private uh, nonprofit uh, it was called Friends of the Observatory at the time, and, and Deborah Griffith and Harold Griffith, he was the grandson of Colonel Griffith, who originally gave the money for the observatory in his will way back in, in 1919. Uh, but they helped start Friends of the Observatory, which has now become Griffith Observatory Foundation, and so helped create a partnership between uh, the City of Los Angeles Department of Recreation and Parks, Griffith Observatory, of course, and, and then what was then Friends of the Observatory. And those three agencies together not only planned uh, the, the future of the observatory, uh, but helped develop the means to get there. That's uh, quite a history of it as well. Um, what was Griffith's, you probably wouldn't know this better than anyone, but was the goal originally for Griffith Observatory to always be like this beacon of astronomy for the public um, from its inception? Yeah, that's really an important question. And uh, I, th I think it was confusing in the minds of, of many people uh, over the decades at the observatory, just what the place was. But if you go back to Colonel Griffith, Jay Griffith, who, who had the idea of doing this in the first place, it's not confusing at, at all. Griffith Observatory was always meant to be a public observatory, not a research observatory. It has done modest research over the decades, um, but it's neither located in a place that's very good for research astronomy. And of course, that's gotten worse uh, with the demands higher for research astronomy today. And then also, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have uh, the, the, the same uh, sort of spirit built into it for research astronomy because it's designed with the planetarium and exhibits and all of that really to be uh, for public astronomy. But if you go back to, to Griffith's own notions about this and, and the story behind it, Griffith was interested in many things, including astronomy. Uh, he was a, a member of, of the Los Angeles Academy of Sciences 
which was a, an informal organization of, of uh, people interested in science as well as scientists. Uh, and he had contacts with a lot of people. And he had a chance to go up to Mount Wilson with, at that time, the 60-inch reflector, uh, which was the largest telescope in the world at that time. And of all things, Griffith actually had the connections to look through the 60-inch, not something you'd, you'd normally do in any case. And it was a, a full-blown operating research observatory. Uh, but he was remarkably affected emotionally and intellectually by that experience. And he's quoted as saying, if all mankind could look through that telescope, it would change the world. And of course, all mankind couldn't look through that telescope. That's not what its job was. So Griffith got this idea of having a, a public observatory where everybody could look through a telescope and, and be altered in perspective by that experience of direct eyeball to the universe uh, contact. And so he, he began then to, to make a, a, a basic plan for this. And he outlined many specifics of the original uh, character of the building. And those principles, those fundamental principles, really were part of the guidance for the renovation, the $93 million renovation that took place between 2002 and 2006. Uh, so Griffith Observatory, as it is today, really is intended to be a public observatory. And that was so from the beginning. Wish every city would have something like Griffith. I know here in Arizona we have Lowell Observatory, which is very. Uh, I don't. It's it with their recent investments, they're definitely getting up to that caliber um, of what you guys have. And um, but it's. I've been to Griffith. I've been to Lowell, and you know, there's not a lot of places where astronomy is as accessible like that is uh for people so la is very uh lucky to have something like that to their um disposal because i've been to mount wilson and palomar and stuff like that and it's always cool to walk the grounds of you know major observatories like kit peak and stuff like that but it they do the best that they can to make that accessible but it's you can't really have a research level institution and a really good outreach uh, system really packaged in one. It's very difficult to, obviously you guys know that very well. So it's, it is amazing that someone at some point in history had the notion that they wanted to do that. And I, I wish more people in more cities had that capability um, like LA does, but it's LA. There's a bunch of other cool things as well, but um they're very, you guys are very lucky to have such a facility um, out there. Well, 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 thank Griffith, thank the city of Los Angeles, and, and thank Griffith Observatory Foundation. Yeah. Um, now, the, the observatory, has the observatory always hosted the two observatory domes that are there? Um, you currently have two. One of them is the uh, solar uh, telescopes, and then the other one is the Zeiss uh, refractor. I think you guys have as well some other stuff. Have, are those still? Have those always been um, at the facility? Yeah. The what you see of the building, uh, it, it, this sort of iconic three dome profile uh, that appears in so many motion pictures and television shows as well, uh, is in fact the original design. And it was a design that uh, went through many uh, incarnations 
uh, as one might expect when architects are, are working on, from scratch really, on developing this new public facility. Uh, quite interestingly though, uh, Russell Porter, very famous in the field of amateur astronomy and the development of amateur astronomy, uh, was one of the people uh, who was working uh, for Palomar and its development and he was uh, temporarily uh, assigned to the Griffith Observatory project, and he developed a number of conceptions about the place, uh, all uh, working off of this three-dome concept, uh, concept with uh, a, a dome for, as you pointed out, um, in this case, a Zeiss refracting telescope, the other one for a rather, at the time, unique design for the solar telescope, the Celestat, uh, which operates in a way that keeps the image of the sun oriented the same way throughout the day on the visiting, vis visible screen down below. And then, of course, the large dome for the planetarium. And all of these components were designed into the building from the first place. Uh, so the, the three-dome uh, image is, is very much the, the signature, the fingerprint of Griffith Observatory. And interestingly enough, uh, it's been copied uh, twice in China, uh, visiting uh, astronomers uh, working on this uh, uh, from the Chinese way back in the 50s and then more recently have, have picked up that same uh, profile and applied it to their own institutions. Well, I guess that's a, you know, sincerest form of flattery in a way. Um, so you did kind of touch on the subject and it comes up every now and again because um, Griffith, a lot of times, is also a backdrop to a lot of performances and movies and stuff like that. Um, do you feel that, you know, the latest one, of course, being Adele, uh, which I'm sure you were probably a part of to say, yeah, we'll do it. Um, but uh, do you find that performances like that uh help support the observatory or maybe draw more interest to get people to come, you know, actually experience astronomy through, you know, whoever is doing a performance there? I think there is no question uh, that Griffith Observatory's connections to the entertainment industry, motion pictures, uh, and, and then, of course, special events uh, like the Adele One Night Only that you mentioned, um, have a profound effect on the, the, the very wide um, sensibility uh, about the place and that it exists. It, it, it creates not only a national but an international profile and it makes the place uh, a, a landmark, a tourist attraction, and, uh, all of those other things that, that kind of come along with, with that sort of uh, exposure. Um, I, uh, w whether you think that is a good idea or not, it has been in the DNA of Griffith Observatory from the very beginning, and that's really a product of location. Uh, Griffith Observatory, it, it, you know, looks over Hollywood and has had a connection with Hollywood from before it even opened. The very first film that was done at Griffith Observatory uh, was Gene Autry and the Phantom Empire, which was a Saturday matinee uh, serial cowboy detective science fiction mystery thriller that uh, w had to uh, have some shots done uh, and th they occurred uh, bef before the place could even open to the public in May 35. And since then, of course, uh, Hollywood has repeatedly taken advantage of the fact that they've got this institution, this facility 
that has a look, an architectural uh, character and a, and a mission uh, that can be adapted to its needs. Griffith Observatory, for its part, I think can very uh, clearly be argued, uh, has also responded to Hollywood, both technologically and from the point of view of storytelling. The whole idea of how do you communicate astronomy uh, and, and science to the general public has certainly been tempered by the Hollywood storytelling sensibility that, that just gets communicated person to person over time. It's, it's not something that's, that's organized and that, that there's a, a book you go to that tells how to do it, but it just has to do with the experiences of, of people working back and forth. Our latest planetarium show, which has been delayed by COVID-19 for two years, we were ready to premiere in, in uh, uh, 2020, but that has been produced uh, to Hollywood standards from the point of view of the all dome digital animation and the sound and it's a live planetarium show as well. I mean, we, we still have, have those programs presented by a live uh, performer, but, but that program could not have been done without the expertise of the people that work in the industry and helped us with all of those uh, visualizations and, and uh, the high tech uh, animation of 8K projection on a dome at 60 frames per second. I mean, that, that's, that's just not built into uh, the, the, the traditional astronomical curriculum. Now, and that's, you know, while I was living in LA, it's always been, um, it's just part of the landscape. You know, you come in, there's the Hollywood sign. You can see it for miles, especially on a good clear day. There's Griffith perched up on its hilltop and over, I mean, it's hard to miss. So the fact that it is just a part of it, um, and it's solidified in so many different performances that it, it's really, it has to be there. It's just like the Hollywood sign. If it's not there, something's missing. And, um, but I've always been interested in, you know, several acts that I've seen that I like that have performed there, how that's actually benefited astronomy. And I guess that is one of the things where a lot of people come to, the Hollywood region because they just want to drive. There's, you know, tours of, you know, here's this house and this house and blah, 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 blah. Um, so people just want to visit the grounds that whatever they saw took place. And then of course, by natural curiosity, it's like, wow, we're here, but what is this place actually about? And then that can open another door. So I don't think astronomy outreach just stops at, hey, look at through a telescope and here you go. It's like you kind of have to start with a little bit of curiosity about whatever that is, and then that leads down this elaborate hallway of astronomy. So, uh, Now, your background is really interesting. Um, it's archaeoastronomy, isn't that correct? Yeah, I started, as, as I mentioned, with George A. Bell in observational cosmology, and that's really what I wanted to do. And my thesis was about that in Clusters of Galaxies. But the, the fact is I got sidetracked uh, fairly soon after uh, I um, had gotten out of grad school and was, was working at the observatory and uh, got, got interested uh, at a time when there really weren't a lot of people interested in ancient and, and prehistoric astronomy and, and just started doing that. Uh, and, and it was a very obvious kind of thing for me uh, the, the idea is, wait, these places are claimed to have some astronomical connections. I think I should go see them. I think I should go find out if this makes sense. And so my very first trip anywhere was to the British Isles in 1973 
uh, to photograph um, monuments uh, that uh, are all over Britain. And that just uh, continued to the point where uh, since that time, over the decades, I've really traveled all over the globe and uh, wound up uh, going everywhere to have a look at, at monuments wherever they might be found. Are there any interesting things over the years um, through your research that you know you were kind of blown away or set back upon from ancient civilizations? Um, what they knew in accordance to modern day astronomy that were just kind of like, whoa to you? No, you know, the funny thing is what, what, you, what you realize is that it all kind of makes a certain amount of sense. If you think about the values uh, that astronomy confers on people, whether they are a complex society or a, a group of hunter gatherers, they're all taking advantage of the information that the sky provides. It organizes time, it organizes space, and of course the primary thing is, is that it is linked to seasons and seasonal change. And, and so there, it, it's no real great surprise that people invest in this and have taken advantage of it, but the thing that's really surprising is, is, is that we have been kind of blind to the fact that, that it's so essential and so built into the human experience uh, back in, in the uh, 70s when I started getting interested in this, no one would imagine that, that there might be paleolithic, upper paleolithic interest in the sky. And yet evidence that, that may show that uh, appears in, in the prehistoric rock art from that era. Well, this just continues all the way up the, through and around the world. It's almost no matter where you go, you'll find that. And if there's a surprise, the, the surprise probably really is uh, that, that there seems to be a no, no limit to the applications that people make of astronomy. One thinks perhaps first of things like navigation and calendar and timekeeping, but it goes well beyond that. The, the, the sky provides part of the foundation of the way that we order ourselves and see ourselves in the universe. And, and that means we build that into all kinds of other institutions. And, and it shows up therefore in architecture and art and, and, and everywhere else. And it's providing a function that isn't necessarily astronomical in the sense of how does the sky work? It's actually using the sky on behalf of some other thing that human beings are doing. Uh, I've done a bunch of outreach and we talked before hand a little bit on that and um i find obviously today unfortunately due to light pollution uh there's a disconnect now where most of the modern world doesn't seem to there's no encouragement to look up much anymore uh, but i do find and i'm sure griffith sees this and maybe you could elaborate on this that everyone that i've ever met at an event has some inherent interest in the night sky maybe they don't even understand where that comes from but it seems like most people have it they just haven't unlocked it yet and maybe that's because light pollution and obviously we're very you know stuck in our phones looking at the ground and stuff like that a lot of times but do you find through the people you've talked to or that when people visit griffith that there's kind of this you know light bulb moment even if it's only for an hour while they're visiting but maybe they leave with having a little bit more appreciation of you know, what that kind of uh, seed or root from ancient times to us currently um, that we all seem to still share some 
interest in what's above our heads? I, I think there's no question. Uh, and we certainly experience it, Griffith, and I'm sure you do as well in, in the work that, that uh, is involved with, with the outreach you do. Um, there's, there's an epiphany every minute. Uh, at a place like like Griffith, and and that is because people are open to that, and the opportunities to connect with it uh, are are not necessarily so obvious or as easy as they were a hundred years ago, when people just walk outside and the Milky Way would be overhead, um, and and so for that reason, uh, that kind of effort on behalf of in, by individuals on behalf of everyone. Uh, to reintroduce the, the sky to them is, is actually vital. I don't think this is just a mild entertainment for people either, or just a, the sort of thing to, to, to make people think, well, I've got another uh, uh, nice moment uh, in my life. I, I think that this connection to the greater universe is, is really profoundly important to our overall perspective on ourselves. And, and it, it, if nothing else, it, um, it, it allows us to see that there is something much more complicated, much greater, and and much more worth our attention than some of the frivolities that we indulge. No, that's I quite agree with everything on that, and that's I think the underlying reason I like to do outreach, um, and I'm sure a lot of your staff is the same way, where it's showing people the big picture makes you appreciate what we have and how rare we are. You know, a lot of this is actually kind of touched at the end of the movie contact uh, where Jodie Foster's going on about, you know, what she's seen and stuff like that and how small and fragile we actually are. And I know, you know, Carl Sagan does a really good job at that with the pale blue dot and stuff like that. And I, it's sad that more people don't have that access or, um, upfront interest about it, but I know it gets it gets buried because we're bludgeoned over the head every day about you know here's all these things we should think are important or you know who's doing what or wearing what or blah 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 blah. But um, I think what Griffith does and all these outreach facilities, the underlying goal there is yeah to reestablish that connection. Um, yeah, we come from a long line of people that looked up and that shouldn't stop moving forward even though maybe there's not as much access to that or we don't think there's as much access but it's always there so um is there anything that you'd uh like to see griffith do in the future or for outreach that you think would be important to you know expanding that mission even further yeah, the um, COVID-19 pandemic, of course, required us to uh, have a look at all of the options that, that we should consider. Uh, the observatory had to close very abruptly on Friday the 13th, uh, March 13th in 2020, and only reopened to the public uh, last May, and even then on a, a limited basis. And, and so we're still adjusting very much to that. But the the value of contact with the cosmos has not diminished at all during that time. And, and so we, we had to develop, uh, among other things, the ability to uh, look at uh, online production. And that began with school programs. And as a consequence, we, we wound up developing uh, a school program, first as a pilot uh, last year, and, and now full-blown operation where, where we're booking uh, in a semester between 30 and 50,000 kids 
online when normally uh, our morning school visits would each year total 26,000, 27,000 or so. We have no intention of abandoning people really being on the premises as soon as we can do that. But this idea of expanding the observatory's uh, abilities to reach an audience beyond Los Angeles on a more regular basis is certainly one of the things that, that's on our minds at the moment. I've, I've done these virtual star parties and stuff like that since COVID shut everything down as well. And it, it, it really is kind of eye open. I've seen what Griffith has done too. Like during the great conjunction, you guys did your webcast there. And it, it's amazing how the internet and technology and just simple equipment that you can pair to a telescope can really take and remove the geographical limitations of a complex or facility and actually allow you to reach far and beyond people who probably will never have the chance to set foot on the grounds it it allows whatever the facility is to expand way beyond that so i'm griffith's always been really good at that but i'm glad you guys have gone you know i wouldn't even doubt you would have anyway but it's it i think if anything positive came from the covid era it's that we had to think outside the box on how to expand even further and that's Griffith is obviously one of the leading facilities to do that uh, right we, now. We get it. We get a kick out of the fact that we'll have a lunar eclipse that uh, half the Earth can't see. But if uh, if the weather's good, we'll give it to them. Yeah. Do you guys stream that off of the twelve yeah. inch, or do you have piggyback yeah. uh, scopes that do we, it? We use the twelve. We use the twelve uh, inch Zeiss refractor, uh, but the uh, the camera and the instrument is is mounted to it that we we use for for okay. that. And the real challenge has been to refine, to improve, and, and to uh, guarantee a, a really steady image uh, so, so that it's, it's not distracting when you're seeing it on a screen. Uh, and, and that took a little doing from the, the first times uh, back a bit, but uh, that's, that's kind of uh, where we are now. And we'll, uh, we'll be on the case with the next one. Uh, that's awesome. I, I, I don't know. If you've never been to Griffith, you just have to go to it. Like it's just its own. There's really no observatory or place like it, and everyone's got a unique experience with it. But it's, it's what's really neat about the grounds there that um, you could probably even share further is everywhere you look. It's not just oh, here's our facility, here's two observatories, and uh, everything cools inside. Like you walk around, and from the statues of the major astronomers.